Well, as you saw from that bumper video you see from the screen, we are today starting a new series called Habits of Spiritual Survival. Now, whenever I hear the word survival, I always think of Bear Grylls, right? You remember Man vs. Wild? So uh, it, this is back, Caleb and I, when he was just a little kid, we loved watching this show together. I mean, after all, we're all suburbanites and working offices, and so we need, need to know right, how to survive in the wild. This is important stuff. So we would watch this. He was just a little kid. We'd watch this together. So one afternoon I got home, and he greeted me at the door, big smile on his face. Dad, I did it. What'd you, what'd you do, son? What'd you do? So the day previous, we had watched an episode together in which Bear had demonstrated the skill that when you run out of water, you have to stay hydrated and you drink your urine. Come again, son? What? How? T- what? T- tell me more. Tell me more. So uh, he was in, I can't remember. I mean, he was little enough, but I can't remember if a shower or bath at that point. But his sister, who's even younger, she was just a wee little thing still playing with toys in the bathtub. And she had a little Winnie the Pooh tub thing, which works just like a cup. So he filled it up and took a drink. And uh, so then we, of course, ran that through the dishwasher and we never told Madison until today. So, (laughs) so, um, oh my, anyway, anyway survival. Listen, uh, it's a show all about physical survival, right? You, you have to have hydration. You got to have water. You have to have food. And a lot of times you need warmth to stay alive. So the, the fire type imagery. Now, listen, as we talk about habits of spiritual survival and you see the fire imagery there, here's the thing. I am not a body with a soul. I'm a soul with a body. You get that? Okay, so spiritual survival is way more important than physical survival. So we're talking about habits of spiritual survival. We're saying habits because these are routines, these are practices. We have to do them regularly over and over again. Sometimes we refer to these as spiritual disciplines. But I hate that word. Disciplines, that doesn't sound fun. Sounds like eat your veggies, right? or you're going to be disciplined. It means you're getting a whooping, right? So that's not a fun word. As well, it it doesn't sound desperate enough to me. When we talk about disciplines, those seems like, like, those are good ideas and I should probably do that like working out. But you know what? I can get by without it. It's extra, it's additional, it's an add-on bonus. But that's not what's going on. I am a soul with a body. This is about my spiritual survival. I'm in a fight for my life. That's what we're talking about. Now, we have the imagery of the survival fire. You're going to have fire a lot of times because hypothermia can kill you. So you got to stay warm. You can also cook with the fire. You can boil your water to purify it with the fire. But what we're going to do with this series is talk about these individual habits, like they're individual logs thrown on the fire. We're going to throw more and more logs to build a spiritual blaze in your life. But let me be clear as we jump into this. These are not habits that give us brownie points with God. Like when we think of spiritual disciplines, then God will like me more. And so I'm going to earn God's favor through, listen, no. These are things that build connection with God. 
when you think about a fire, sometimes you hang out with friends around a fire. Sometimes I hang out with my wife by a fire. Listen, a fire can be romantic, right? Think about building, if you're married, think about building a passionate fire in your marriage. Now, there are habits, there are practices you can do to build connection and intimacy as a couple. Men, if you do laundry and dishes, she'll find you sexy. Just try it, right? Do it regularly. That's a habit. That's a practice. Listen, communication, time spent together, getaways. You're throwing logs on the fire to build a roaring blaze of intimacy in your marriage. Or how about this? I'm going to stay married to Shannon and I'll pay the bills, but that's it. How's my marriage going to be? Like, well, are you going to tell her you love her? Nah. Are you going to touch her gently with no expectation? No. Uh, What about spending time together talking with her? Uh Uh-uh. I'm going, to be a, I'm going to have a horrible marriage, right? So I need to do these habits and practice to build a roaring fire of intimacy in my marriage. Now listen, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. And what we need to do in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, we need to throw logs on the fire to build a roaring spiritual blaze in our lives. It's about connection and intimacy. That's what we're doing here. Now, the very first log we're going to talk about today is lordship, except it's not. It still isn't. Take over for me, if you will. Nope, back it up. There we go. There's lordship. I swear it was there. Okay, so we're talking about lordship. Now, I want to get at it this way. I believe there is a mental health crisis in the church. I don't mean to make light of mental health issues at all. That's a very serious thing, and there's a crisis in our culture, and it takes addressing. We've got to work on it. But I think there is a very unique mental health crisis, particularly in the church. Many people deal with a very, very serious delusion, and it is this. They say Jesus is Lord, and they live like he's not. That's delusional. That's delusional. It's a mental health crisis in the church. Now, all of us who are Christians would say Jesus is Lord. Might even go further and say Jesus is my Lord. Yet, for many of us, our lives are practically indistinguishable from our non-Christian neighbors. Now, our non-Christian neighbors, they, they maybe they claim to be Christians, but they wouldn't really say that Jesus is my Lord. At least their life wouldn't say that. They would say money is Lord, sex is Lord, power is Lord, looks, pleasure, sports. I don't know. These things would be the, or maybe they'd say, I am the Lord of my own life. But here's the thing. At least their life reflects that. At least they're not delusional. At least they're living consistently with that. That's to their credit. Now test yourself. Do you say, Jesus is my Lord, but your life looks practically the same as theirs? If so, you're saying one thing is reality, and then you're living completely out of step with reality. You're delusional, and that's a problem. So let's be clear about what the word Lord means. It's a Greek word. that gets, It's all over the New Testament. It's translated very consistently. And that word, it doesn't mean helper, okay? It doesn't mean bonus or extra or add-on module. It's not some life enhancement tool. That's not what the word means. The word means controller, supreme authority. It means master, ruler, the one in charge. 
And that's why Jesus is like, at one point, he's pulling his hair out. Look what it says in Luke 6, verse 46. It says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That's insane. That's delusional. It makes no sense. But if we actually come to a a place where we reflect the reality of his lordship in our lives, what would that look like? That means he would be our king. He would be our Lord. It wouldn't be a bad thing. It, It means we would love him. He's a good God. He's not a slave driver. It would mean we would trust him. He's God. He created all. He knows how life works better than me. He's smarter than me. I trust him. So it means I would die to my selfish little kingdom. I would submit to him. I would surrender to him. I would say, God, your will be done, not mine. That's lordship. That means we would bow not only the knee, but we would bow the heart. Both. You see, listen, when a king conquers a people, he can force them to bow the knee. And they bow the knee, but they don't bow the heart. And I think a lot of Christian religion is just that. It's to bow the knee, but not to bow the heart. You see, we usually become Christians out of some felt need. There's something going on in my life, and I'm convinced God can help me with that. So I become a Christian, which means I expect God is going to help me. He's going to be my servant and do what I want him to. And so that leads to comfortable Christianity. Or maybe there's a religious impulse in my life that leads to cultural Christianity. Or maybe I've studied apologetics and concluded, yeah, it's absolutely true, which leads to academic Christianity. Or maybe I'm just scared of going to hell, so I prayed the prayer and I got my get out of hell free card, which leads to easy believism Christianity. And none of those are lordship. It's to bow the knee, but not to bow the heart. It's sentimentality and emotionalism. It's giving lip service to God and going through the motions and the rituals, but it's not lordship. But when I really realize exactly who Jesus is and what history is all about, what the world's all about, what the universe is all about, and who I am in light of all that, then worship flows to Jesus. Trust flows to Jesus. Love flows to him. And submission flows to him. Jesus becomes my Lord, and I bow not only the knee, but also the heart. Actually, check that, because I bow the heart first. That's true lordship. It actually begins in the heart with worship and love and trust, and because of that, I bow the knee. My life reflects what my lips say. One of the best ways I've come to understand it, is the difference between an operating system and an application. Now, all your devices, your computers, you know, you have some OS, that software that's running in the background 100% of the time that runs the whole machine and everything else that's run on the machine. You also have applications, apps that that you, so I'm going to write a a sermon, so I open Word, I'm going to do a spreadsheet, so I open Excel, then I close Word, and now I'm going to close those, I'll go on a web browser and I'll open that. Most people treat Jesus like he's an app. And so uh, Sunday morning, you're opening the Jesus app right now, but pretty soon you're going to be watching a football game and you want to cuss at the TV. So you're going to close that Jesus app, right? You're going to open the sports app. 
Tomorrow morning, you go to work, so you're going to close those. You're going to close the Jesus app and go open the work app. Jesus was never supposed to be an app that you open and close. He's supposed to be the operating system. He's running 100% of the time, and he runs everything else, and he decides how it runs. That's lordship. He's running all the time, controlling everything. Now, all of that, of course, is predicated on who Jesus is, having an accurate understanding of him. So what I want to do is jump into Mark chapter 8 with you, starting in verse 27. And you'll see them start to wrestle with that same exact thing. It says this. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one. And so they're walking along, Jesus and the 12, and, and he says, hey, who do your neighbors? Who do all the people say that I am? And they say, well, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. Basically, they say Jesus is a good moral teacher. Any of your neighbors say that? Oh, he's a good guy. Nobody disses Jesus. Like, he's a good guy. He's a good more. There's much we can learn from that app, app we run at times. But I can also close that up. I can ignore him because he's just a good moral teacher. That's all Jesus is. That's who the people say. I, most of our neighbors who even claim to be Christians would say Jesus is ignorable. I can close that app anytime I want. But the thing is, he's way more than that. Peter gets it. He is the Christ. That means Messiah. That means God in the flesh. That means he's the creator. Did you know that? You think of the Father as creator. Colossians chapter 1 tells us of Jesus that all things were created by him and for him. Including the rocks, right? Like remember, Jesus said, if we fail to testify to his lordship, he will make the very rocks cry out to his lordship. And then we have things like Psalm 19, where it says the, the heavens, that is the skies and the stars, declare the glory of God. The entire universe is shouting to Christ's lordship right now. Isaiah 55 says the mountains and hills sing and the trees clap their hands in worship of the king. And then Philippians chapter 2 says that there is a day coming where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the Lord. Now let me be clear. I do not want you to make Jesus Lord. Because you can't. Don't you understand he already is? You don't get to make him anything. He he already is the Lord. It's about not being delusional. It's about aligning your life to the reality that is already there. To responding in a rightful way to his lordship in our lives. To submit to him. Like, think about going to the CEO of your company and saying, Hey, uh, I decided today to make you CEO. What? I already am. The only question is, are you going to live in line with that reality? That's what's going on here. So to that end, Jesus turns to them and he says, hey, hey, enough of your neighbors. Who do you say that I am? 
That's the big question. What about you? And not just what you say with your lips, but what do you say with your life? How different is your life from your non-Christian neighbors? That's a tough message. But the operating system or an app, listen, I can open the John the Baptist app because like he's a wild prophet and I can run that and then he starts to eat locusts again and I shut that app down, right? Like that's weird. And, and so I can open and shut, but Jesus isn't like that. Jesus is the Lord. He's the operating system. If he's the Messiah, if he's the God, if he's God in the flesh, then he's Lord. And Peter gets it. And so Jesus says, shh, don't tell anyone. What? Why do you say that? In our job to go tell everyone? Well, yeah, that is now. But in that time and place, what happened is they had this messianic expectation of a military reigning Messiah, that the Messiah was going to come, kick Rome's butt, destroy the soldiers, set up an earthly throne right there in Jerusalem and rule the world. That was their expectation. So if they start to go, hey, the Christ is here, everybody's going to go that route. And Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not the route we're going. In fact, let me be very clear which way this is going to go. Let's continue in our passage. It says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He calls Peter Satan. Now listen, it's not that Peter was possessed. We'll get to that. But we have this image of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, holds the lamb, hugs the child, right? And calls Peter Satan. Like, like, wow, that's harsh. That's so over the top. Why did Listen, what happened with Satan? Satan was an angel who became a fallen angel, a demon. And what happened, he knew exactly who Jesus is. He knows Jesus is Lord, but he did not submit to him. He asserted his own agenda and sought his own kingdom. And Jesus is saying, Peter, right now, be careful. You're being like Satan. You're being like Satan. After all, what was Peter doing? He was rebuking the Lord. Now, pause for a second. Hear those words. He rebuked the Lord. Okay. There's two things going on there. One is to say, Jesus, you're the Lord. And also, secondly, Jesus, I'm going to tell you what to do. Delusional. Delusional right there. That's to be neck deep in religion. And at the same time that you're acknowledging who Jesus is, you're going to tell him no. Huh. And why did Peter do this? It's because Jesus started to express his goals and his agenda and where he's heading, and it was out of alignment with Peter's goals. Think about this. If Jesus became the military conquering Messiah, and Peter's his right-hand man, think what that means for Peter's future. He's going to be set, right? Okay, but if Jesus, he's got this mouth, he's going to be a suffering Savior and die. What's that mean? for his right-hand man in his future. Ooh, nope, don't like that. Don't like that one at all. 
So Peter's saying, this is not what I signed up for. Listen, I'm doing, like most of us, I'm doing this Christian thing. And the reason why I'm doing it is to get God to obey me. So he does what I want him to do so I can be hashtag blessed. That's Christianity for a lot of people. <laughs> if you remember Talladega Nights, when Ricky Bobby is praying to baby Jesus, right? That's been overused, so I won't go into that. But if you listen in the midst of his prayer, he's screwing it up left and right. His wife is getting ticked, right? And here's what she says. It's really insightful, which you don't expect from Talladega Nights. But she says, I want you to do this grace good so that God lets us win tomorrow. And that's Christianity for most people right there. What if, what if God has a plan and it's so big and it's so beyond you that it doesn't include you winning tomorrow? Are you going to be okay with that? He is the Lord. I've told you guys this from time to time. God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. We didn't create him. He created us and he did it for a reason. When we say God exists to serve us, that is religion. That is to say that I have goals and aims and intentions for my life, and I'm doing my religious duty so that God gets on my program and helps me with my goals and aims and intentions. And when he doesn't do what I want him to, I'm ticked at him. Instead, what if God has goals, aims, and intentions for the universe, for all history, and I'm a part of his kingdom, so I get on his plan, and I serve him. He doesn't serve me, I serve him. Now, let's be honest, that sounds like it might be uncomfortable, right? Yeah, that's why Peter objected. Lordship will, by its nature, take you out of your comfort zone. You'll be living on God's agenda, not on yours, and it's a big agenda. But who gets to declare the agenda for your life? You've got to wrestle through that. Who gets to declare the agenda for your life? Are you trying to get God daily with your prayers? You're trying to get God to work on your agenda, or are you trying to work on God's agenda? Now, I don't want to dog Peter too much. Because he eventually did get it. And Peter would die as a martyr in service to Jesus in his gospel. He got on God's agenda. But not everyone did. There's an interesting passage in Matthew 26. It's when the Lord's, the Last Supper's going on and Jesus turns it, turns uh, Passover into communion. And during that time, he sat with the 12 and he predicted to them, one of you is going to betray me. And it started to go around the room, and they said, is it I, Lord? If you look closely at Matthew 26, there's a profound thing here. Everyone has said, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? One person didn't call him Lord, but instead called him rabbi. That is to say, teacher. Good, moral, teacher. It's not I, is it, rabbi? That was Judas. Judas, the betrayer. Judas was using religion to serve himself. But listen, both Peter and Judas have died and they've stood right before the king. And I got to tell you, I'm guessing Peter was satisfied in his choices and had a sweet reunion with his Lord. With his Lord. Lordship is about control. It's about priorities. It's about who decides the agenda. It's about living for him and dying to myself. Back speaking about dying, let's look at the last couple of verses for today. 
And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So, so far, Jesus has just been talking with the 12, but he realizes what they're talking about now is so important. He goes, hey, hey, everyone, get the crowd. Everyone, listen, listen to this right here. And it's all about following Jesus. Let me give you something really deep and profound, okay? Ready? If you want to follow Jesus, you will have to, ready? Follow Jesus. That's it. If you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to follow Jesus. But the thing is, so many people want to carry the label Christian, but the last thing they want to do is actually follow Jesus. That's delusional. That's crazy. To follow him is to be like him. It's to be near him. It's to let him infuse your life with his agenda. He's my king. He's my Lord. When you go to a park, you'll notice there's two different kinds of dogs. Right? Some people have a dog, and, and if they give the dog two feet of leash, the, the dog's going to be at two feet away, straining at the end, right? Give eight feet, it's eight feet away, straining. You give 20, that one of those reels, right? He's out at 25 feet, straining at the end. Doesn't matter, two, eight, 25, it's at the end of the leash. A lot of you are like, yep, that's my dog, right? I get it. Okay? That's Christianity, unfortunately, for a lot of people. Asking the question, how far is too far? I don't want to break the leash. I do want to be connected to Jesus, but I want to be as far away from him as possible, as unlike him as possible without ticking him off. There's another kind of dog, and you know it, right? doesn't matter if it has two feet, eight feet, or 25 feet right there next to the master's side. Just wants to be with the master, like the master, by the master, and that's the kind of disciple we want to be. That's making him your Lord. Becoming like him. Oh, by the way, if you follow Jesus, I should warn you of this. If you follow Jesus, you'll find his footsteps lead to a cross. And you'll have to not deny yourself. You'll have to take up your cross and follow him. That means deny yourself. That means die to yourself. But don't miss it. Who went to the cross first? Jesus did. Like he already, Jesus, the creator, the holy one, the worthy one, died for you in your place for your nasty sins. He did it out of love for you and he gave you grace and forgiveness. He already did that for you. And so what we're doing now is we take up our cross and follow him. We're just doing responsive love. I love the old hymn by Isaac Watts, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Now, if I were Pastor Jared, I'd sing, but uh uh-uh. No, just no, (laughs) not me. But here's a great line, and it says, love, so amazing. Remember, he's looking at the wondrous cross of Jesus. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. It's the only reasonable response to the cross of Jesus Christ. You don't pick up your cross to get accepted by Jesus. That's why he picked up his cross. He already purchased your forgiveness and your acceptance. That's done. It is finished. But by taking up your cross and dying to self and submitting to him, to giving him the gift of your life and putting him in his rightful place in your heart as Lord, that is reasonable. And to do anything else is delusional. 
We take up our cross because he took up his. And then he says, he says, lose your life for my sake and the gospels. Which means he has a mission. He has an agenda. He has kingdom priorities. Most, listen, we're not talking about the American dream with a little sprinkle of Christianity, which is what most American Christians are living. No, no, no. We're talking about being on a different agenda, a kingdom mission, a kingdom vision. I'm no longer building my kingdom. I'm building his. And I'll be honest with you, that's a radical life. And it is absolutely foreign to most American Christians. And I say that with great sadness and shame because I pastor among America. See, according to Jesus, lordship means death. There was a story told about a missionary who left Liverpool and sailed for the African coast. It was during a time where it was very fever-infested there. Uh, He would spend the rest of his life there, probably die there, maybe not too long. As he was changing vessels, a slave trader, cynical old dude, found out where he was going. He said, you know you're going to die there. And the missionary wisely responded, I died before I ever left Liverpool. That's lordship. Dying to my agenda, living on God's agenda. This guy was already dead. He's got nothing to lose. Now, that sounds like you get chipped, but don't miss this. (laughs) It's the best life possible because when you die to self, death in this case leads to resurrection. That's how Jesus rolls. Death leads to resurrection. This is a reversal of original sin. Remember what happened in the Garden of Eden? We knew exactly who the Lord was. Us and our first parents, Adam and Eve, we we all have done it since, so we're all guilty. And Jesus, the Lord said, just don't touch that one tree. And we said, "Eh, I'm going to be Lord. I'm going to clutch at what I think is life. I'm going to clutch at life. And God warned, in the day you do that, you will die. And death was injected into creation. So we held on to our own life. That's what this, we held on to our own life and death came. And Jesus is saying, let's reverse that. Let go of your life and let resurrection come. It's a reversal. I want you to know something. Your lordship is terminal. Your lordship will die. It's just a matter of when and who does it, you or Jesus. But your lordship is going to die. You might as well give it up now. And by taking up your cross, what we're doing is we're choosing the death that leads to life. This is a matter of survival. We're looking to survive. There is, um, to understand this aspect of it, there's the paradox of how they catch monkeys. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. Maybe you've heard of this. So what they do to catch some monkeys is they'll take either a bottle with a narrow neck or they'll take, you see a coconut there and they'll hollow it out, put a little hole. The hole is just big enough for the monkey to slide his hand in. And then they'll tie that thing, that bottle or whatever, to a tree. They'll drop a peanut or some food source in there. The monkey comes in along, slides his hand in, grabs the food, but with his clenched fist around the food, can't get out. It's easy to solve, right? All you got to do is drop that thing and you can run away, monkey. He won't. He doesn't. He holds on to what he thinks is life, and then the trapper can come along and smack him on the head. 
What he thinks is life leads to his death. And all you got to do is let go and go live. And that's the offer Jesus has given us. If you clutch, you die. If you give it up, you live. Lordship is a gift. It's not a gift to Jesus. It's a gift to us. You see, whether or not I submit to Jesus' lordship, got a clue for you. Jesus is going to be just fine. Jesus is going to be just fine. But without his lordship, I'm not. Without his lordship, listen, when I'm the Lord of my own life, I have no peace. I have no rest. I built a house of cards and I know it's a house of cards. I see the storms of life coming. So I'm fretting and I'm hurrying and I'm worrying and I'm scrambling around. I have to save my kingdom. And I just described life for a lot of us. But, but listen, nothing threatens Jesus. Nothing threatens his lordship. Nothing threatens his kingdom. So when I die to self and I live for him and I'm, I, he's my Lord, then that is a storm shelter for life. And I have peace and I have rest. If in the midst of the storms of life, you don't have peace and you don't have rest, that is an indication about lordship. It's a litmus test right there. Jesus' lordship is a gift to us, not to him. He is calling you not to less. He's calling you to more. He's calling you to a big kingdom adventure life. But it starts with dying to self. Listen, something is lord of your life 100% of the time. Something is always, maybe some vice, maybe some addiction, some idol, perhaps yourself. And you got to know, all of those will destroy you. So why not Jesus? He's the one that took up the cross for you, right? He's what, listen, here's what he said in John 10.10. 10. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Why not let him be your Lord? you got to know he doesn't share his throne. Let me put it this way. Jesus won't destroy your life, but you will. In fact, I'll make it really plain for you. You make a really crappy Lord. Write that down in your journal. You make a really crappy Lord, and it's going to ruin your life. We're talking about habits of spiritual survival. And if you don't get this, you won't survive. Lordship is the, listen, we're, we're talking about this fire, this fire, right? Building it one log after another. And what we're going to do is come along with habits like Bible reading and prayer and worship, throwing other logs on the fire. I want you to know this. Lordship is the starter log. You know, these things are like, they're not really logs. They're like pressed cardboard and soaked in kerosene or something like that. You get a match anywhere near that thing, it just goes up, right? What we're going to do is we're going to stack the other logs against this starter log. Because when you have a starter log, you can take wet logs and they'll eventually burn. Lordship is the keystone. It is the starter log. Listen, if Jesus isn't Lord, why read the Bible? Why pray? Why worship? It doesn't make sense. Lordship is the starter log. So we got to get this one first. So here's, here's what I want you to do this week. I'll give you a few things to do. Number one, I want you to make a habit of daily lordship prayer. Remember, these are habits. 
Some of you think I'm going towards a lordship prayer that you'll pray once. Listen, lordship is not one and done. Salvation, you come to Christ. I came to faith in Jesus and he became my savior in June of 1986. Yeah, do the math. Thank you. So, but I, that's when Jesus became my savior. Do you know when he became my Lord? Every day since then. Most days since then. Let me be more real. Many days. Let's give me many, okay? I'm as messy as you are, okay? I mess up too. But listen, the point is, it's something that you have to do over and over as a habit. So you probably have seen this acronym for for prayer, P-R-A-Y, praise, repent, ask, yield. It's a great way to work through a daily prayer because what we usually do is just ask. We're, We're all A. Ask, ask. And so remember to praise him and to repent of your sins. But look at that why. Yield. That's a lordship prayer that you do every day. You say, I want you to every day say, Jesus, you are my Lord. Today, would you lead me? Lordship is a daily prayer. That operating system or app thing, you'll make a daily decision with that over and over and over. Secondly, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get out your phones right now, if you will, and text the word LORDSHIP to 330-294-0249. And the reason why, so this little book here, My My Heart, Christ's Home. It's not a book. It's a book. It's a little pamphlet. It's a tiny thing. You can tell my copy's really old. But if you text LORDSHIP to that number, we will then send you a link to a PDF version so you get a digital copy for free right to you. Listen, this is a great... It, it, what it does is it takes you on a walk through the home that is your heart as you turn over one room after another to Jesus. It's a lordship issue. And I would love for all of you to read this this week. And then the last thing I want you to do is I want you to spend some time in reflection. Since you got your phones out, you might want to take a picture of that so you have those questions. Because I want you to, this week in prayer, I want you to get with God and have a conversation with Him. And you say, what is it that God might ask of me right now to which I would probably say no? Be honest. Don't be delusional. Reality is your friend. And then say, why? Why? And then say, what act of denying myself and picking up my cross and following Christ would be difficult for me this week, but I'm going to do it anyway. Reflect on those in prayer. In fact, let's pray right now. We as a people come before you and you are the Lord. And we acknowledge that right now. Father, we got to admit our hearts are so fickle. We wander, we drift so quickly. And what we say with our lips sometimes doesn't come out in our lives because we're scared. We're scared to let go of that stupid peanut as if that's life and yet it's killing us. And while we might see it right now, Father God, we, we say before, we know tomorrow we're going to forget. We ask you, would you invade our lives with your Holy Spirit and bring us to lordship every day of our lives so we could reflect what the universe does, so that we could live the life that you intended for us. And we pray for that in Christ's name.